So we are almost at the end of 1 Corinthians. We were here for, I think, maybe a year. We, we've been doing it for a while. And the we are in the final chapter. And in the final chapter, you know, if you just look, if you read it, it seems that it doesn't really apply to us because it seems that these, the instruction that Paul gives in this chapter, it seems like it's specifically aimed towards the Corinthians. But the Holy Spirit, this, but, but if you read deeply, there is a universal principle that applies to every Christian, right, in, in, in all history. So we're going to see through Paul's instruction to the Corinthians what Paul says about giving, about money. But before we talk about money, right, we have to talk about the context, the bigger context of, of Paul's writing this instruction. And the context of it is that th these instructions about giving comes right after Paul's discussion about the resurrection. Paul spends 58 verses on the resurrection. And there's a couple of reasons why Paul did this. Number one, it is to provide the Corinthians a clear view of the reality that is to come. He's giving the Corinthians and us a clear instruction, a clear picture of what, we will, what will happen to us after we fall asleep. Falling asleep, as a review, for a Christian means death. Christians don't die. We fall asleep. So I think I went to small group, and I think maybe this point I, I, I didn't emphasize enough. So let me just give you a brief, understand, like brief review of what happens after we die. If you're a Christian, if you're born again in Christ, and if you die before the Lord comes, you will die and then you will wake up, and then you will be with the Lord instantaneously. And when the Lord Jesus returns to earth, we will come down with him. When he returns, then our bodies will be raised up, and we will have eternal bodies. So, example, let's say I get out of this church, and I get hit by a car. Car's coming, I go, what? And then I get hit. Boom, I'm in the presence of the Lord. I'm in another dimension. I'm in the dimension with the Lord. And when he comes back to the earth, then my body will be raised in a glorified body, and I will reign with him in this earth forever. That's the picture of the future, the reality that is to come. And that is why Paul gave a painstaking detail of what happens after we die, or what happens to our future. Comprende, por favor? Yeah? The second reason why Paul wrote about the resurrection is to motivate the Corinthians to live correctly in this world. Verse 58 in chapter 16, Paul says this, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil for the Lord will not be in vain. Paul is saying, 
Paul's saying the reason why I wrote all, one of the reasons why I wrote all this thing about the resurrection, it is so that you Corinthians, you Christian, you embrace members, in your brief, short life in this world, you will devote your time to the work of the Lord. The certain reality is coming. And our lives in this world is so short. What do you do in your short life in the light of the reality that is to come? Expend your energy. Expend your resources for the work of the Lord. I'm going to pawn the table. Work, Paul says. Expend your energy. Expend your resources, Paul says in the light of the eternity that is to come. Yesterday, I had a really good day. It was one of those good days. You know what happened yesterday? I counseled a couple of people via Zoom, right? I was working on my sermon. I think it took me like six hours to write a sermon yesterday. Or like yesterday, I did six hours to, like, to crafting the sermon. And then I had to do my lawyer work. That was a good Saturday. Some of you would say, ugh. But I say it was a good Saturday, because yesterday, as I was reviewing my, my life that day, yesterday, I was so thankful that I had the opportunity to expend my energy to work for the Lord. Whether that being counseling beloved Christ, like members of our church, or writing this sermon based on his amazing word, or even doing a lawyer job, I realize every part of it, I'm doing the work for the, of the Lord. I used to think that only my ministry here in this place was a work of the Lord, but God is correcting me. He says, no. I've called every part of your life, PJ, to myself, including the lawyer work, especially the lawyer work. One of my heroes in Korea is this, is this pastor named Pastor Ju, and he's, he's my hero because guess what? He's a lawyer and a pastor, right? He's my, oh, and he's an older guy, and I love that guy. And he says, you know, when he was younger, when he, was, he got converted when he was, like, after he became a prosecutor in Korea, right? And when he first became converted, he loved going to church. He loved going to worship services. He loved doing Bible studies. He loved serving the church on Sunday. But then when he went back to his prosecutor's office, Monday through Saturday, he hated it. He hated his job. He said, my only joy was Sunday serving the Lord. And I hated my Monday through Saturday. I hated my worldly job. Then he said, God rebuked him. God rebuked him through second God rebuked him through Colossians chapter 3 verses 23 to 24. Are we ready Chan? Hit it Chan. Colossians 3:23 to 24. What does it say? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Is the next verse? Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. What Pastor Drew realized through this verse is this. The reward that he gets in the kingdom of heaven 
is not only for a Sunday work. It is the work that he does Monday through Saturday in the prosecutor's office. It's clear. This verse is clear. The type of inheritance, the type of reward you will get is if you do the work of the Lord. And the work of the Lord is not just confined to ministry. It is your worldly job. For the Christian, there is no distinction between a secular job and a worldly job. Everything is a calling from the Lord to do His work to where you are and how you work will determine your inheritance. Do you understand? And this is what God's teaching me over and over and over again. I'm experiencing miraculous case approvals at work. I am. Yesterday morning, I had a case approved that I thought wasn't going wasn't to get approved. And through that approval, God is reminding me, I am in this work with you. You are working for me in, in this law firm. What you do in this law firm counts. Do you know Christ is with you in your place of work? Do you know Christ, Christ is in the corridors of Ernest and Young, KPMG? Do you know Christ is in the corridors of the Office of the Salvation Army? Insurance company? He's in the, he's in the corridors of the insurance company. Are you working for the Lord in your job? Look, not to brag or whatever, I, maybe between the two jobs, I work maybe, what, 90 hours a week? Every, every week, more or less? If I only spend maybe 30 hours doing ministry, would the other 60 don't matter? No. Paul is saying, in the light of what's coming, Expend all you have for the work of the Lord. Are you working for the Lord, guys? This is going to sound really mean, so I'm going to try to preface it in the nicest way possible. The number one excuse that we give ourselves of not devoting ourselves to the Lord, whether it is being private worship or whether it is serving the church, and the number one reason is I am too busy. Guess what? You are called to be busy. You are called to be busy for the work of the Lord. You are called to be busy in your employment. You are called to be busy in working out your marriages. You are called to be busy in raising your children. You are called to be busy serving and loving Him through the church. You are called to be busy. Busyness cannot be an excuse of not living for the Lord. Does this sound mean? I'll be a little meaner. To be honest with you, and I know, and I, and I know what it means. Trust me, I know what it means to be busy, right? I'm getting of people not devoting themselves to the Lord by saying they're too busy. You're supposed to be busy. You're supposed to give your life to the work of the Lord because the rest is coming in this, in this day, 
in while you live, expend your energy, expend your resources for the work of the Lord. I'm not saying you shouldn't get recharged. I know it's important. I'm in trouble right now because I haven't, got, I haven't recharged myself. But God is being gracious and I'm being recharged. And I know, right, recharging is, it rest is important. But the fear of burnout cannot be a deterrent of you being expending your energy for the Lord. Do you understand? You're supposed to be busy. Work for the Lord. The most basic way that you do the Lord's work is through the giving of your money. What is the work of the Lord? The most basic element of working for the Lord is giving your money away. We can talk about, I want to serve God, and I want to do this, and I don't do that. Yeah, that's great. But if you're not willing to give your money, I'm afraid that you don't know what, what serving the Lord really is. Money is a sensitive topic, and you know, pastors are always afraid of preaching it, Right? And I can understand why, because it's, it, can, it can easily offend people when we talk about money. But let's be real here. Why are we so offended about talking about money in the church? It's because money reveals a lot of what we are, what we value. There are few things in life that is a clear indicator of what we are about. One of the clear signs of what we are about is where do we spend our money? Tim Keller says, how do you know what your idols are? Look at your receipt for the past month. Where has all your money gone? That's a pretty good indication of where you, what you treasure, what you value. Jesus says the same thing. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Hit it, Chan. Chan, you are fantastic today. I'm not going to read all the verses, but if you look at these verses, the first, verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where the thieves break in and steal. Next verse, Chan. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Let's go to verse... 24, Chan. So Jesus is saying, do not store up yourselves treasures of earth. Store up, store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you put these two verses together, what is he saying? Those who live to store up treasures of earth are the ones who, whose money is their master. That's what he's saying. Those who spend their money on building whatever thing that you want to build in this earth, that's an indication of what you truly value. 
if you use your money for the advancement of the kingdom, your treasure is in heaven. If you use your money for the comfort and the status of whatever is in this world, your treasure is of the world. I'm not saying you shouldn't buy things, you know, necessary things, even beautiful things. I'm not saying, and I'm not saying you shouldn't go on vacation. But the general trajectory of your spending, where is it going? The trajectory of our spending reveals what we truly value. Paul is saying, your kingdom is going to come. It's the new kingdom in the earth that God is going to build here. Therefore, use your money. The trajectory of your money should line up with the kingdom that is to come. The trajectory of your spending should not line up with the world that is fading. The trajectory of your spending should line up to to the kingdom that is coming. Where is the trajectory of your spending? My spending. I'm talking to me too. Good old PJ, what does your trajectory of your spending tell us about you? Paul today gives specific instructions to the Corinthians of how they should spend their money. He says, verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed to the churches of Galatia, you are also to do. After talking about, in great lengths, about the resurrection, verse 16, verse, chapter 16, verse 1, Paul is telling the Corinthian Christians, You should collect offering to support the Christians in Jerusalem. Verses 1 through 4 is all about Paul instructing the Corinthians about collecting offerings to the Christians in Jerusalem. Jerusalem Christians are Christians 1.0. They're the first generation of Christians, right? They were former Jews, right? But they got converted to Christianity. The, the, the Jerusalem Christians were Jewish Christians, Christians 1.0, the first generation. And Paul is calling the Corinthians, who are Gentiles, to financially support the Jerusalem Christians. Paul, the Corinthian Christians are Gentiles. They never met the Jerusalem Christians. They're Jews. Jews and Gentiles don't mix. The Gentile Christians in Galatia, the Gentile Christian in Corinth, they never met the Corinthians in Jerusalem. But Paul is instructing them to collect an offering for them. Why? Verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints. Why does Paul instruct the Corinthians to collect offerings to the the Jerusalem Christians? Because the Jerusalem Christians are the saints of God. What's a saint? Saint is is another, saint in Greek, if you translate it, means holy. Right? Saints are holy people. And what does it mean to be holy? It means separate, to be separated, right? According to Paul, All Christians are saints because Christians are the people whom God separated from the rest of humanity to make them his. 
if you are a Christian, you're separated from the rest of humanity and you exclusively belong to God. ¿Ya comprende? If you are a Christian, you are a saint, not because you're morally upright, which we should be, but we are saints not because of our moral performance. We're saints because God separated us and he made us for himself. Paul is saying, even though you have never met those guys, you collect money to support them because they are the saints of God. They are fellow saints. They are fellow people of God. And you are called to financially support them. There is priorities in giving with our money. Priority el numero uno is using our money to to, to take care of our families. That's priority el numero uno. God gave you your job. God gave you your money so that you will take care of your family. El numero numero uno. He didn't give you your money to give your child the perfect childhood. That's not what he gave you your money for. There's a difference, right? But he gave you the money to provide for your children. Second priority in our giving are the saints of God. Whether they be at people in this church, or they be at other churches in this local community, or the churches that you do not know. The priority is giving to the work of God, to the people of God who is suffering. Third priority is general charity in, in the community, in the world. I know there's some of you and God bless you, who want to use our resources to do community outreach activities, and that's great. But understand that the priority is not only for, the, of our giving, it's not only for this local church, but for the other fellow Christians around the world who are suffering. Supporting the saints is one of the highest priorities of our money. Jesus makes this clear. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus describes the judgment day. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus describes what will happen in judgment day. In judgment day, he will separate the sheep, sheep who belong to him from the goats who don't belong to him. And the standard that he will use in separating those who belong to him and those who do not is whether, peep, whether we, while we live in this earth, whether we supported, financially supported people financially supported fellow Christians. He will tell the people who belong to him, he, say, he will say, when I was sick, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was poor, you gave me money. And they will say, when do we do this, Jesus? When do we feed you? When do we give you money? When do we do this? And Jesus says, it is when you support it these little brothers. When you supported these little brothers, that's, that's how you supported me. To the goats, he will say, I don't know you because you didn't feed me. You didn't visit me. You didn't give me water. You didn't give me money. And they will say, when do we not give these things to you? He says, because you did not support your fellow brothers. You did not support me. You see what Jesus is doing here? 
he is saying that one of the highest priority of our money is to support the saints of, of the local community and of the world. Give your money for the work of the church. Why, does the, why did the Jerusalem Christian need financial support? Why? What, have, what was happening to Christian 1.0s? A couple of things. Number one, there was a famine in Judea, the Israelite region during that time. There was a famine. Crops weren't growing. And there was a severe famine that plagued the country. But the second thing that happened, not only was there a famine, Christians were being persecuted by the Jews. Remember the Jewish leaders were the one who crucified Christ? Not only did they crucify Christ, they ostracized anyone who belonged to, who claimed to be Christians. If they were Christians, they were kicked out of the temple. Being kicked out of the temple means you're branded as unacceptable. If you're kicked out of the temple because you're a Christian, society in general will look at you as something wrong with you, and they will cancel you, just like they're doing today. Right? If you do things that are not consistent with the worldview of the majority, the majority will cancel you. Canceling you means you're going to lose your job, you're going to lose your means to, you're going to, lose, lose your means to finances. And that is what's happening to the Christian. There's a famine, and there's a queen in Mesopotamia named Helena, and she financially supported Israel by giving money to, to, to Israel. But the money she gave did not go to the Christians because they were unacceptable. Christian 1.0, the first generation of Christians, were suffering. Paul is telling them, therefore, Support your brothers and sisters who are suffering. In the light of the eternity to come, in the light of the fact that you're going to be rewarded based upon how you spend your money, support your brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need. Once again, highest priority, your family. But a close second, is a fellow saints of God. Meet the needs of those who are perishing. Meet the needs of those who are persecuting. Maybe one of the ways that we should spend our money is to maybe research persecuted Christians and maybe just help support those who are being persecuted. Support the saints of God. Paul gives specific instructions on how they're supposed to do it. He says, verse 2, this is how you're supposed to collect the offering for the Jerusalem Christians. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So what Paul is saying, instructing here is this. He says, this is how you're going to collect the offering. Every Sunday during worship, collect offering. Every Sunday for the, for the Jerusalem Christians. The money you collect, set it aside, save it. Collect offering every Sunday, save it until I come. When I come, Paul says, choose among you men, right, who's going to deliver this gift to the Jerusalem Christians. I'm going to write a letter on their behalf, 
and I'm going to send them to Jerusalem. It's very specific of what Paul wanted them to do. But if you look deeply into Paul's instructions, he instructs us, he tells us what giving really is, and when you actually look at Paul's instructions, you will understand what God's will for your money is. Let's talk about the first thing. What is money? What is money? The the, the secret is in verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you should put something aside. Paul is telling the Corinthians, you should collect the offering every Sunday when you worship God every Sunday. He is connecting the offering to the Lord's Day worship. What Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to connect the fact that our giving is an act of worship. Giving, not just collecting offering on Sundays, which is part of worship, and that's true, but generally speaking, giving your money to God is how you worship God. That's what Paul is trying to say. Giving money is the way you worship the Heavenly Father. Yes, praising God on Sundays is important. Yes, private worship is important. But another important aspect of worship is giving your money away for His work. What is worship? What is the definition of worship? That's the first thing that I preached about when I got here How long has it been? Six years ago? Six years? My gosh, i got to retire. Six years ago, my first sermon, I I talked about worship. And what is worship? Worship simply is, is giving God what He deserves. What does God deserve? Everything about us. Before we were Christians, everything was about us, Right? Before we were saved, everything was about us. Our money was about us. Our time was, was about us. Everything was my, 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 mine. After being saved, everything is about Him. Reverend Jude that I was talking about, the Christian pastor, the lawyer pastor guy, he has a really cool way of baptizing people. When he baptizes people, he's a Baptist, right? So he baptizes people, he submerges them, and he Raise He's a physical submersion. And the way he baptizes people is, you don't, he says, come with your regular clothes that you wear to the office and bring your wallet. So he dunks you with your regular work clothes with your wallet. And, and he, he baptizes them, submerging your water and your wallet in the water, symbolizing what? Symbolizing from this moment on, everything about you, your work, your money, is all, it all belongs to God. Giving God what he deserves is an act of worship. And what does he deserve? Everything, including our money. But let's, really, let's talk about our, our money. Is it really your money? Look, the objective tr- truth of life is that you came with nothing and you will leave with nothing. Right? You come with nothing, you will leave with nothing. That's the truth. 
Yesterday, for some reason, I, was, I ended up in the Vogue, Vogue YouTube channel, and I was watching Tommy Hilfiger's Manhattan Mansion. I don't know why I did that, right? So I was like looking at Tommy Hilfiger and his wife giving a tour of their like, apartment. I think it's in the Plaza Hotel, right? Look at him, but this is my favorite room. Look at the kitchen. Look at the marble floors. Look at my room. Look at, the, look at my study. Look at the picture that Mick Jagger gave me. Look at the picture that Annie Libowitz gave me. This is my room. How beautiful it is. I don't know whether he speaks like that, right? That's what he said. And as I, was like, as, as I was watching that clip, I couldn't help thinking. Maybe it's because I was like preparing a sermon. I was, I was thinking, you say all that is yours, but is it really yours? You will possess it for a time, and Tommy Hilfiger is pretty old. And before long, you're going to leave this earth. And when you leave this earth, everything that you have no longer belongs to you. That's the truth. We come with nothing, we will leave with nothing. And everything that we have in between is given by God. So giving is really being generous with the money that God has gave us for a short time and giving it back to him. That's what giving is. Let's be honest. I know we think it belongs to us, this money that we have. But we're just stewards of what he gave us. There are varying degrees of annual income here, right? Some of us make $50,000. Some of us make, I don't know, I don't know how much the richest of us make, right? Maybe $600,000, right? I don't know what, what, the, what the annual income is. But there are varying degrees of how much he gave us. And regardless of how much he gave us, how we should view our money is it belongs to God. And the act of worship is generously, wisely, giving God his money, right? Spending, generously giving God his money back. That's what giving is. It's an act of worship. If you are withholding giving, you're really withholding it because you're saying, this money belongs to me. That's what it really is saying. And you are not worshiping God with your money if you're doing that, right? Now the question is, how do, you be, how do you make yourself give more? Yeah, theories are good. Giving is active worship. Theories are all good. But how do you compel yourself to give more? You need to change. You need to have a bigger view of God. Giving is a worshiping God and giving what he deserves. But if your view of God is very small, then you're not going to give him much. But if your view of God is big and real, you will want to give more of yourself to him. Like, when I, I, there was like, the, 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 there's a the person that I had dinner with a few years ago. He's one of the highest ranking embassy people in D.C., Korean embassy people in D.C., right? So like, you know, he bought me, he took me to a fancy Italian restaurant near where Ricky and Cynthia live, right? And um, 
Like, you know, he used to report to my dad, and so he was buying me dinner. And all throughout the dinner, he was talking about like, how many churches that he helped establish. He says, he was bragging, bragging, he was kind of bo- boasting. He was excitedly sharing about number of churches that he helped build around the world. He says 10. He says, God had used me to build 10 churches in the world. All the money he earns, he just gives it to the planting of churches. And I go, how do you do that? You know how he did it? Because to him, God is big and real. And he's serving the big and real God. And, and, he, and he, he, it's just a privilege for him to give. May I say, maybe our wallets are tight. And maybe you can't give much. But it's not, it's not the amount, right? It's your desire to do his work because you have a great and real understanding of who he is. How do you have a heart of giving? Let God expand your understanding of who he is. Let God give you a more intimate understanding of his reality. Then your giving will increase. Maybe that should be your prayer and my prayer. Make my understanding of you become bigger, deeper, realer. Is that a word? Another principle Paul says, Paul teaches in these verses. Verse 2, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, save it, he means, as so you also, I'm sorry, um, store it up as he may prosper. This, 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 description, this description is confusing. What Paul means by this when he says, as he may prosper, He's saying, you should give the offering in proportion to your income. That's what he means when he says, as he may prosper. Your offering should be determined by your income level. Paul, the New Testament, is silent about tithing. Tithing is an Old Testament practice. It is. And some of you go, hot dog, I don't have to tithe anymore. Let me tell you what it is. Tithing in the Old Testament, God called his, Israel, his people to tithe because Israel was a theocratic state. It was a government like, based upon the law of God. God was the ruler of that country. It was a theocratic government. But in order to support the various activities of the theocratic government, his people needed to tithe, which is like taxes. So people tithed, number one, to support the priests, the Levites. The Levites were the priest people designated as priests. They don't have any other jobs besides being a priest. So it is the call and duty of all Israelites to financially support this tribe of of priests. Second use of tithe is to help the poor. Right? 
They use the tithing to help the poor. And number three, they use the tithe to various feasts. Of, of, Israel had a lot of feasts. And they used the tithe for the feasts and for the work of the tabernacle. So if you add all these things together, I think they were giving maybe 23, 30% of income on tithing. There's a specific purpose of God called Israelites to tithe for, 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 for these purposes. New Testament is silent on the gift thing of tithing. But there are few principles that we can get about giving in the light of Christ. Number one is this verse that we read today. Each of you should offer up in, a, in an income that is proportioned to your earnings. Let's think about this. What he's saying here is, consider your income and consider the fact that it is God who gave you your income. Whether you make $50,000 a year, $300,000 a year, I don't know what your income is, but there's a reason why God has given you that income. Your giving should be based on that proportion of income that God has given you. I know a lot of well-meaning Korean women who go to debt, credit card debt, to give, give offering. They think if they give God a lot of money, God's going to bless them, though they go in debt to offer up. Paul's saying, no, 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 don't do that. So your offering giving should be in proportion to your offering, to, to your income. Second principle comes from 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter, what chapter, what is it? Chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul is instructing, God has given you a certain income, and now you need to consider, pray, how much you should give. But the underlying is God loves God, what what does it say Chan? For God loves a cheerful giver. Principle as you're meditating and praying about giving, you need to understand God loves generosity. The principle is your income consider, ponder, but also be incredibly generous. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful means hilarious. No, <gasps> Joah. <gasps> Look how much he gave. <gasps> Do you want to give joy to the Lord? Give generously? Give joyfully. That's the principle. Is there a tithing requirement? No. But that doesn't free you from the obligation, for the calling, not an obligation, a calling to give. All of us, I, I, think, I think the issue with us online giving, I love online giving, and Sean Stark don't hate me, my, my, me my saying this. But if we just, and I do this too, right? If we just give money, like, once a month, right? We just do it and we don't think about it. I don't think that's the principle here. Every time you give, you should ponder and pray. Thank God 
joyfully give. Perhaps we should do it every Sunday. Right? But there's a deliberate act of worship that we have to do when we give money. No principle, but the calling is to give generously and joyously based on your income. We know from the parable of Jesus' couple of parables of the parable of the widow. Remember the widow who offered the only last two cents she had, she offered it to God. What that parable shows is this. God's going to look at how you give your money, how I give my money. And we will have to give account of how we spend our money. We do. Are you going to give your money as an act of worship, joyfully, generously? Or do you still think your money belongs to you? And the last principle, this is brief. It's very, it's very more practical than anything else. He says, verse 3, right? And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredited by a letter to carry, your, to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Paul is saying this. When I come and you save up all this offering, these men are going to take this offering to Jerusalem, not me. Right? We don't know when Paul's coming back. But we would imagine that all the offering that they lifted up on Sunday is going to be a large, large amount. Right? Paul says, I'm not going to take this money to Jerusalem. These men that you appoint are. And that's very good. Because the elders, shepherds like me and Pastor Ujin, we shouldn't control the money of the church. There's something wrong if, like, there are a lot of churches who do this. Like, the, the, the pastor is also, you know, the CFO of the finances. And that should never be. Sean Kim will know. That's conflict of interest. Right? The thing with Ravi Zacharias was he controlled the money of his organization. That's why it is crumbling, one of the reasons. There should be a separation. It's not the pastor's money. And I'm so thankful that we all know Embrace Money is not Pastor Jay's money. Right? People tell me over and over again, it's not your money. Right? And I'm so thankful for that. And that's the way it should be. It's God's money. And we should distribute it in accordance to the will of God. Those are the principles of giving. If you're, not, if you're still hesitating and doubting about giving, I pray that this week you'll spend praying to the Lord and asking Him to restore a heart of worship in you so that you will give what He has called you to give joyfully. Let us pray for these things. Lord, many things have been discussed here this morning. But the underlying principle is, Lord, that we are called to be generous. We are called to expend. We are called to spend, Lord. We're called to spend our time and our resources and our money in accordance to the coming kingdom of God. You have given us money not so that we can be rich and comfortable in this life, but to comfort the fellow Christians, to build your kingdom. Father, we, we, we pray. We first want to thank you for all the hearts that are giving regularly to the church. 
we can exist because of their generosity, and that's true. But Father, we pray, Lord, that even for those of us who give, help us to understand that giving is an act of worship. May we not mechanically give, but may we, may we thoughtfully give. As every time we give, may you restore us an understanding, Lord, that we are doing your work by offering this money to you. And we pray, Lord, that may you give us more joy as we give our money to your work. Father, we, we, we pray that for some of us, Lord, we are unable to give because we, we have lost jobs. I pray, Lord, that you will be generous and gracious to them and provide employment soon. For not having work, Father, not having the resources is very painful. We pray, Lord, that you alleviate that pain by being generous with them with new employment. Help, us with, help, help those of us with jobs, Lord. Help us to see that our jobs are not just a means to a paycheck, but your divine calling. Whether it is working at the law offices of Fragment, or whether it is working at the accounting firm of Ernest & Young, or whether we are sales directors or CFOs, Lord, we pray, may we view our jobs as divine calling, May you remind all of us that you exist in our jobs and you are leading us in our jobs. And may we do it, may we do the most excellent job that we can for the sake of your name, and for the sake of your name. But also, Lord, help us depend upon you for our work. If there are projects that are difficult to do, if there are unreasonable managers, unreasonable clients, help us to depend on you in prayer and help us to see your work in our field of work. Father, we also pray for Olivia LeClaire's mother as she's recovering. I pray, Lord, you will, your, 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 your healing will continually just progress in her life. And most importantly, may she know the gospel of Jesus Christ. For We pray for Sungbin's father who is going through cancer treatment. We pray for healing. We pray for advancement of, advancement of healing as well. We pray for Jaina's father family as they are suffering the loss of their father. We pray that you will comfort her like only you can. Father, we also pray for the teachers of our group who are going back to school this week. Father, they are brave people who have who are, who are been tasked with educating the young. And going back to school, Lord, it's a dangerous thing in this time. But we pray that your protection will be over our teachers. You will use our teachers, Lord, to, to properly educate the youth and, and use them as examples of love and mercy to their students. We pray for the continued ministry of the Holy Spirit in our church. We, we lean on you and we love you. All this in Christ's name we pray. Amen.